Hey guys, as you know, I am launching this beta group this week and I'm looking for founding members. We still have some spots available. And to give more details about this program, I hosted a webinar on Monday night through Zoom and I realized that I had the audio recording of this and I thought it would be a good idea to share it on the podcast. I delivered a lot of important information that you can use even if you do not sign up for the group. And I just thought it would be a fun bonus episode. In This episode gives you some background on me and how I ended up in this career. My experiences on the job market for the past... Um, let me see, seven years because I had uh, multiple postdocs and I loved one of my postdocs. So I stuck with it a little bit longer than most people do. But anyway, you'll, you'll learn that. And then I also deliver seven steps on how to find your career path and become competitive for the job that you want. This is what I figured out from my experience and that the key to being competitive for jobs is to really reverse engineer your career. And just a reminder that our doors close for this group tomorrow, which is July 17th, a Friday at midnight. So make sure that if you want to sign up for the group that you head over to my website, fancyscientist.com. And if you hit the career advice button and go to wildlife, you will see a post where you can sign up. I'm also hosting an Instagram live tonight, Thursday, July 16th, 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. My Instagram is at fancy scientist with an underscore in between fancy and scientist. You can ask me questions there, or if you have any other questions, just feel free to shoot me an email or send me a message through social media. Hi, I'm Dr. Stephanie Shuttler, a wildlife biologist who's learned throughout her career studying animals that science alone cannot save species. We need you. In the Fancy Scientist podcast, you'll learn about fun animals, conservation tips, and science advice, all while breaking stereotypes about what a scientist looks like. Let's get started. I am super excited to try out this group and share with you my knowledge that I learned from my experiences of being on the job market. You're in the right place if you're thinking these things. If you're interested in a wildlife biology career but have no idea how to get one, I have a lot of people ask me about this. They just have absolutely no idea where to start. This is how I was. It's a really weird, uh, nebulous career. If you have some ideas about careers in wildlife biology or you might even be in a degree program, this might be an undergraduate degree program or a graduate school program, and you're not sure if you're making the right choices. If you search for answers endlessly online or ask professors and end up empty-handed and confused, I will also warn you that searching for answers online, they can be incorrect. I found a lot of them to be outdated and even wrong. And then 
If you're unsure what it takes to become a wildlife biologist, a lot of the expectations are different than the reality of it. So here's what we're going to go over tonight. If you take away anything from tonight, it's that I've learned it's important to look at the job market now so you can understand what the options are and the risks associated with those options. So we can get into that in a little bit more detail, but by risks, I mean how available the job is and what you're getting in financially as well how to start tracking jobs so that you can see if they are right for you. You'll take away what makes people competitive for jobs and how you can be too. And then this is something no one really talks about, but what else you need to consider in your career so that you'll be happy. A lot of scientists, they just focus on work, 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 work. And yes, we love our work, but you also need some work-life balance and you need to ask yourself some questions for this career. Okay, so we'll start with my story, and I emailed a little bit of my story to you guys, but I'll give you the full scoop here. I actually never knew you could become a wildlife biologist, to tell you the truth. My parents, they own their their own business in Buffalo, New York, and they didn't graduate from college, so I had I had real no outside knowledge of this world of wildlife biology and science. All I knew of was Jane Goodall, and I knew I couldn't be like her. My family, we didn't even camp when we went to state parks. We stayed overnight in hotels. So I was like, I could never do what Jane Goodall does. Ironically, it took me going all the way to Kenya to realize that I could have a career in wildlife biology. And I did this really kind of on a whim. My brother suggested there was uh, a medical doctor, a physician. I figured, you know, acting is a pretty risky career. And if I didn't make it as an actress, then I could always become a doctor, which is a really financially stable and traditionally successful career. But when I was looking to study abroad programs, I found this brochure in Kenya and my heart just like was drawn to it. And I was like, I got to go there. When am I ever going to have the chance to go to Africa again? I, I just didn't think I'd be brave enough to. And like, I, I don't know. I just, it's just something that my family would never do. We're not international travelers. And it just seemed like such a fun thing to do. In Kenya, I learned that you could have a career in wildlife biology, and there's lots of careers all over the world, but the United States too. You could do something like study African elephants or, or domestic animals in the United States and not have to be like Jane Goodall living in the middle of the Tanzanian forest. So after I graduated from college, I was already a biology major, so I just dropped my theater to a minor, so it wasn't that hard of a transition. I, I volunteered in a lab, and then I got three internships in between. So after I graduated, I, I got an internship with the Bureau of Land Management. Here's a terrible picture of me near the Grand Canyon. And I worked at Disney's Animal Kingdom in their, in their lab in the in Animal Kingdom. So it's a zoo, but it's a theme park, but it's also a, an, an accredited zoo by the AZA. And I worked in their lab on hormones of the animals for captive animal management. 
And after that, I went back to Kenya for, with the School for Field Studies to do an internship there for a year. And then I decided to go to graduate school. I had really no idea what I wanted to do in graduate school. When I applied, I applied to all different sorts of programs. All I knew is that like, I liked certain things and I didn't like certain things, but I couldn't, I couldn't pinpoint them. And I would say even to this day, I'd, it'd probably veer towards large mammals, but I did apply for some large vertebrate programs. But I didn't have any idea about like scientific questions. I didn't even have a, a species I preferred. I just wanted to do work that helped the conservation of animals. So eventually, I decided on studying African forest elephants. And I went to Gabon. I collected their poop. You can see me here collecting poop. And this helped answer questions about their social structure. So how animals or how elephants were related to one another. And that's what I did my dissertation in. So I was largely trained in social behavior and non-invasive genetics. When I graduated, graduate school is tough. It it's definitely takes some uh, perseverance. And I went to a straight through straight to a PhD program. And a lot of programs you have to have a master's first. But at my program at the University of Missouri, they had a fellowship, and you could just go right through to a PhD program. And on the time at the time, I was on the fence if I should do a master's or a PhD. But I figured if I did a PhD, I could always change it to a master's later if I ran into problems. And I actually did. At one point, I actually did want to change it down to a master's, but I was so deep in, in all aspects of my chapters that if I finished a master's, I just might as well finish my PhD. So that's what I did. When I graduated, I had a short postdoc at the University of Missouri with one of my committee members, and I started to look for jobs. I really didn't start to look for jobs until I completely graduated. I had some... some personal issues with my mom getting sick, and it just was too much for me to search for jobs while I was still in school. And when I started applying for jobs, I was like, okay, I'm super excited. I am going to get the job that I want. The world is my oyster. I looked for jobs all over the country. I applied for all different sorts of jobs. And I was really shocked at how few callbacks I got. I actually, I only got one interview for one permanent position. And at the time I was married and I had adopted some animals. So I really didn't want to be moving around with different jobs. I didn't, I didn't want to get a postdoc. A, a postdoc is a temporary position after your PhD. So I was really focused on applying for permanent jobs all over the country. And I was told over and over again in my PhD that I would not be pigeonholed. And this was not just by my advisor. Um, I talked to so many people during my PhD. We had seminar speakers throughout the year. I went to many conferences. And everyone said, as long as you get your PhD, that you can translate your skills into different jobs. And that you should be applying for jobs where you meet 70% of the qualifications. 
um, and this is something that women actually don't do that much. They, they tend to think that they need to be perfect to apply for jobs, but I was applying for those jobs. And I knew I wrote good cover letters and I had, an, I had a good CV. I had, pre- I had pretty good success writing cover letters in the past and I studied them really well for my first jobs. So I was pretty taken aback by this and I applied to postdocs because they really seemed perfect for me. And as long as they were in cities I liked, I was okay moving there because then I figured I could get a permanent job there afterward. So I applied for three postdocs, got three interviews, and was I didn't get two of them. The third one I got, and that was in North Carolina, in Raleigh, North Carolina, where I am right now. And this is working with the eMammal Project. It's a citizen science camera trapping project. And given that Raleigh is in the research triangle of the United States, so you have Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, the, it's, a, it's a hot spot for science and technology. And my postdoc was really long. This project had funding for five years. I was like, certainly I will be able to find a permanent position when I am in Raleigh and not have to move uh, around a bunch. But again, I was really surprised that I was not qualified for jobs that either I was overqualified for or that I was really qualified for. Like I have applied for some jobs with having to do with STEM education and I do a lot with STEM education that I didn't get any interviews for. I applied for a job at the North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission, which is our state agency here. The former person had a master's and I applied for a mammologist position and I didn't even get an interview for that. And what I really learned from my experiences is that when I was on the job market the first time, people saw me as an elephant biologist or a geneticist. And even if I applied to jobs with large herbivores, I, I didn't get I didn't get callbacks on those jobs. I didn't get interviews. I don't know why I'm saying callbacks. It's like theater. (laughs) And same thing in North Carolina. I found that the jobs that I got interviews for were really those that I was like a really, really good match for, for things that I had direct experience in. And like I said, I was shocked that I wouldn't get an interview for a mammalogist position with the North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission. So I started to become really frustrated. I will have to say I was nitpicky about what jobs I applied for because I did love my email job. So I carefully weighed out if I wanted to spend more time at email versus applying for another job. And I was restricting myself to the area for the most part. I applied to a couple of other jobs around the country. I do know I was limiting myself. But I was really surprised at how far hard it was to find a job. And then I also was surprised at how few jobs in my field were on the job market and how many that I qualified for. So here in Raleigh, really the only wildlife jobs were with the Wildlife Resources Commission. And the other jobs for the federal government were more in the EPA and I think there was some USGS jobs, but, but they weren't wildlife jobs. It was really just the, the Wildlife Resources Commission. And I started blogging about this. And my post, Seven Beginner's Tips for Wildlife Biologists, became my most popular post. People were just 
looking at it all the time. And then I started to blog more about this stuff and see people on Twitter talk about how competitive the job market was. And I just realized that nobody was really talking about this stuff. I mean, nobody wants to brag that they can't find a job. And as I started blogging about this more, people started asking me more questions about it. And I just stopped applying for jobs because I liked blogging so much. And I found out that people make their careers out of blogging. So I started to shift towards science communication. And when my job ended at eMammal, it was a grant-funded position, I decided to do Fancy Scientist full-time, which is, which is my blog. And I'd say my, my main goal is really I want to do conservation outreach to people. But so many people were asking me information about jobs. And so much information out there I think is outdated and wrong that I just really thought it would be a good idea to start giving this advice and, and creating resources for people that are realistic, that are based on the current job market. So the last job I applied for, I actually applied for a job this year in New York, and I do think I would have had a really good chance of getting it, but the pay was not enough for me and my husband to move. I decided not to pursue it further. So to summarize, what I learned from being on the job market is that I think this was true decades ago or maybe even five, ten years ago, probably not five years ago, probably ten years ago, that a degree is not a blanket qualification. I was missing key skills, education for jobs I applied or wanted to apply for. A big one is government jobs. You need botany to apply for a lot of government jobs, and I'd never taken botany. So just like like silly things like that. And you think they would be able to overlook stuff like that, but getting a government job, even with the right qualifications, is hard enough because of their system. And I can share some tweets that, that talk about this from federal employees. You might be training for a job with very few positions available. That's what happened to me. I essentially trained to become an elephant biologist. And the whole entire time I was in graduate school, I said, I don't want to be in academia. In reality, there are very few jobs in the United States where you can study elephants without being in academia. And those are really zoos and Usually the zoo jobs have to do more with like zookeeping and curator work. There's, 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 there are research positions, but there's not a whole lot of them. It's just, it's, it's extremely competitive and there are few jobs available. If you want to stay in the United States, there are jobs if you, if I wanted to move to Kenya or Asia, but I have, was married now and I couldn't make all the life choices by myself. I don't even know if I'd want to move there anyways, even if it wasn't for Adam. I found that, that I was pigeonholed, that I, I really did feel like I sold myself well and showed how my skills could transfer over into the jobs that were advertised, but that people did not see me that way, that really the only jobs I got called back were, or uh, interviewed for were the ones that I really met, I would say 90 to 100% of the criteria. And another thing is overqualification is real. So this is where you have a degree that is higher than what is required for the job. 
because I am interested in outreach and education and conservation, some of the jobs that I applied for required a master's and I had a PhD. And you might think, oh, you have a PhD, so you're going to be really qualified for that job. But they see it to be like, she has a PhD, she's probably want to get paid more, she probably can't find a job right now, and this might be a stepping stone for her or a temporary job until she finds a real job that, that she wants. And I really, really tried to convey in my cover letters that that is the job that I wanted, but I strongly suspect I didn't get interviews for some jobs because of overqualification. My epiphany was that my education did not train me for the jobs that I wanted. And from all of my interviews, I know exactly where I went wrong. And so I'm writing a book that is coming out this fall. And in the book, I actually disclose every single job I applied for in phase two. In phase one, I didn't keep records. And I explain every job interview I had and the reason why I didn't get the job. And really, the reason why I didn't get the job was because there was someone else more experienced than me. For example, at the museum, an assistant director position opened up. So this is an entry-level post-PhD job. And it opened up shortly after I got there, and I was number two. I was the second in choice. The person who got it had 10 years of experience over me. So it was just, it, it was really insurmountable competition. I can't comp- compete with the publications and the grants and all of that. And for every type of job I applied, there's always someone who is slightly more perfect than me for the position. And what I did in graduate school is I became a jack of all trades. I got a little experience here. I got a little experience there. I learned a bunch of different things. So I was a generalist and I didn't really have, I did have a specialty, probably genetics and elephants. But like I said, elephants are hard. And honestly, I didn't love non-invasive genetics that much. So this is, this is the main reason why I started this group, and I came up with seven steps to really find your career to make sure that you don't do the same thing that I do. And in this group, this is kind of like an overview of the things we are going to do. So I'll just go over a broad understanding of all of them. And the first thing I said is study the job market. So many people say, um, like, what do I do next? I want to be a wildlife biologist. What do I do next? Well, you got to start figuring out what kind of wildlife biologist you want to be, where you want to work, what the jobs are out there. And I don't mean jobs that you can get. Like if you just graduated, I'm not talking about field tech positions. I'm talking about the jobs that you ultimately want. I created this free tool. You guys can get this if you just go to my website and search job tracker. It's, it's a spreadsheet and um, basically it's a way for you to organize your jobs and really to look at the job more in detail and pay attention to the things that you need. This is just a snapshot of it. There's more columns, but graduate school does not prepare you for things like soft skills. So for example, I always wanted to go into conservation 
and I wanted to do nonprofit work. Well, having fundraising experience is really important in nonprofit work. And I know for a fact I didn't get one job because of fundraising experience. This is really to make you aware of the jobs available out there and which ones you like and the different requirements for those jobs. We're going to go over what you really want and especially to answer this question, why do you want to become a wildlife biologist? People get the impression that wildlife biologists are like what you doing. So you do a lot of this in graduate school. You're observing animals or they think of Jane Goodall back in the day or even me during my graduate school. I studied elephants and I got to go to the field and watch them. But once you graduate, if you're not careful, if you get a PhD especially, it's really hard to find jobs where you're going to be outside. Really, most of your time is going to be spent writing papers, doing data analysis. If you don't love science, then you should not become a wildlife biologist to that degree. A lot of people, I think they think wildlife biologists are close to animals in proximity or they get to watch animals all the time. And I think they confuse it with like a wildlife rehabber or a zookeeper. If you need to be close to animals, if you need to see them every day, then those careers are really more for you than a wildlife biologist. And we're going to do this by a series of exercises to evaluate yourself. So looking at your past career experiences, or if you're really new, like things that you did in school, what did you like to do? Look at things about yourself that you're good at. And then compare the two. Does your ideal career match up with what you really want and what you love doing? I found in graduate school and in my postdoc too, people try to shove you in one box. They, on, they, on, they really only know how to prepare you for an academic research degree, at least in my experience. And if you don't choose that, they kind of make you feel like you're a failure. And you are not encouraged to really explore those aspects of your uh, career as well. So in my PhD, we were all really pushed to focus on our PhD. I think that's changed a little bit now. There's more focus on science communication. But if we were seen doing things like Twitter or writing blog posts, that would be seen as a waste of time. If you don't have all the answers to so say you maybe have a couple of ideas for jobs or workplaces that you want to work at. I'm going to teach you ways to try to figure out how to expand your network so that you can find professionals that you can ask these questions to, to help you make these decisions. And then once you start identifying a job or a research area, or you have a few choices looking at the gaps that you have Really seeing where do you lack experience, skills, what kind of education that you need to be able to fill in those pieces and then develop a roadmap of where you're going to go so you get right back on the right track and for the career that you want. What I hope you take away from this is that really you have to study the job markets now to make sure you get the job that you want and keep an eye on them consistently. And I think a lot of people are worried and um, 
anxious that the jobs are super competitive, that they won't get a job. And yeah, the jobs are competitive, but I think if you do the research on yourself, do the research on your job and get those qualifications, I think you can totally be competitive. My problem wasn't that I wasn't competitive. I was competitive for a lot of different jobs. If I would have focused all my energies in one specific area, I would have been the most competitive. So there are definitely jobs out there. You can definitely get them. You just got to make sure you're getting the right training. I want to make sure you're not blindsided by a lack of opportunities and costs. So that's what happened to me. I was really surprised by how few jobs there were that I qualified for. And cost is another one. I thought getting out of a PhD, I would easily make $60,000 a year at the lowest. And I found that, and this is with postdoc experience too. And I found that I was really qualified for jobs at like the $50,000 range, which I'm not saying is, is not a lot of money, but given how many years of experience and education you go through, it's, it's not compared to other careers. And there's a lot of people who go into debt for this career. There's a lot of things that you might have to do, like volunteer, that will prevent you from making money. So there's ways around those things, but I just want you to make sure you know what they are ahead of time and just give you this information so you have control and know what decisions to make. Just to give you some comparisons between um, the traditional route of just like going through school and getting your degree program. I found that you can't rely on advisors to guide you because they got their degree in a completely different job market. Even in my postdoc, I talked to two professors I work with really closely and they're like, it's not competitive. And academia is definitely competitive. No one is arguing that. My friend, she applied for dozens of jobs every year in academia. So they're, they're just, they don't know what the job market is like. Another example is at NC State. One of the professors there, when he was hired, he only had one publication. Meanwhile, myself and other people applied for professor jobs at NC State with 20 publications and we don't even get interviews. It's a different job market. And they also may be biased too. And this isn't, I don't believe this is because they're manipulative, but if you're a professor and you are having a lab and, you, and there's other professors having labs, you need graduate students and it's awkward for them to be like, no, don't go into this field because, I mean, that's, that's how the field perpetuates with, with graduate students. That's how they get their papers published. For me, I have zero agenda for you. I don't care what career you choose. If you decide to do this program and you do not want to be a wildlife biologist, I say kudos to you and I will cheer you on in whatever you do. We will also talk about careers tangential to wildlife biology too, education, outreach, what else? Science communication, those are the jobs that I have the most knowledge in. I don't think that advisors, talking about those careers, I don't think advisors nowadays know about those different career options and what it takes to get those careers. I have applied for several science communication jobs and what I've found with the science communication jobs is they're not interested in scientists who are good at science communication. They're interested in communication experts and 
the science is really not that hard for them to teach. But if that is something that interests you, you really want to make sure, even if you're in graduate school, to maybe take some courses in communication or get some journalism classes. Same thing with education. You might want to get an environmental education degree rather than, or an education degree rather than a wildlife biology degree. Um, and like I said, so I've applied for many different types of jobs in many different workplaces. I've also worked in many different types of jobs. I worked in the government, nonprofits. I've done my position at the museum was a hybrid education. Well, it was actually mostly research, but I worked a lot with the education team. I've applied for science communication jobs. I've worked at zoos and museums. Like I said, I know exactly where I went wrong in my career from feedback after job interviews. They told me what I was lacking. And I would say it's not too late to, you, a lot of people, I think I even got a message today on my YouTube saying they're starting a program, a master's program this fall, and they're worried about being pigeonholed already. And I think it's not about dramatically changing your career path if you're already on the career path, but rather making sure you get the things that you need while you're completing your thesis or your dissertation. For me, I, I wish I would have taken a fundraising course and or volunteered for a fundraising, fundraising for an organization that would have at least made me more competitive for one of the jobs that I applied for. What are we going to be doing in this group it is, we're going to do eight weeks and I'm going to do lives like this. We'll do it on Zoom where, where I'll go over the exercises and the theme for the week. We can have open Q&As. A lot of people just like to ask me questions particular to them. So I'm happy to answer those questions. We will go over the exercises from the previous week once we start progressing. And it's really, it's really designed to take a deep dive, not only into the job market, but into yourself. Like I said, really figure out what you want and not let people tell you what you think you should be. And I'm hoping it'll be the most efficient way from point A to point B and that you know that point B is a possibility when, <laughs> when you're trying to get to point B. The week of July 20th, and we'll end the week of September 7th. I do not know yet what day or time. I'm going to see what people join and what works best for them. And we can come up with a time and, and weekly day that fits their schedule. And I have an outline. I have worksheets designed, but I want feedback from you. I want you to co-develop it with me to make sure that it works for you. So I want you to be very involved and if something, if you don't like something, something needs tweaking, if you have, if you want more of something, all of this, I, I really want to make it work for you. So that's the whole point of this group is to develop a program that can be scaled again in the future. Either we do it live with me um, doing lives like this all the time or, or potentially a recorded course that people can do whenever they want. This group is not for you. If you're not willing to do the work, I, I really don't think it's for you because you won't get anything out of it. It's really going to be exercise focused. Oh, I forgot to mention community too. So we'll create maybe a Facebook group depending on if, an, if 
everyone's on Facebook or not. If not, I'll try to find an alternative where you can post questions and, and talk to each other. It's not going to be just an overview of different career types. If you need that, there is a book called Becoming a Wildlife Professional. They give you an overview. My book out this fall will have a more broad overview, but it's going to be a lot of like figuring out you in addition to the career. I'm not going to tell you what you should do or what you want to be. You're going to have to make those decisions uh, for yourself. But I will, I will guide you the, the best I can and ask you questions. But really, it's about what you want. And yeah, I'm not just going to confirm for you that you're making the right choices. I really want you to trust yourself and do the research yourself so that you are comfortable with the choices that you make. Okay, I'm dividing this now into two groups. We'll see, we'll see who joins, but I have a lot of different type of people contact me. I'd say the youngest are probably 16, maybe a couple of 15-year-olds, and then I get graduate students too. If you sign up, there's going to be two buttons. Make sure you enroll in the right group. I'm calling one a pre-career group. And this will probably be younger in age, but not necessarily. So I'm making this more for students who are junior and senior year in high school up to sophomore year in college. People who are really just starting their career, their degree, or haven't even started yet. Or if you're older and you're making a complete career transition, it's just really for people who don't know that much about this career at all. And then the early career group is, so this is going to be no high school students. You have to be 18 and over. And I'm going to ask for college juniors up. And then if you've graduated or you're a graduate student, of course, you're welcome too. And these aren't hard and fast rules. If you are a college junior and you really feel more comfortable in the pre-career group, that's fine. You can do it. I'm not going to kick you out. It's just more so you get a cohort that is going through the same things as you and that you feel more comfortable with. And then when you're finished, I hope you have this sense of relief like Phoebe does, <laughs> that you have a roadmap and you know what to do. I hope you develop confidence and clarity about this and also generate some excitement about your future. I do want to say a lot of people ask me if I regret my decisions, and I don't. I'm really, really happy I did my PhD. I had amazing experiences, and not getting all of those jobs led me to here. And I'm doing something experimental with my career that I'm super excited about, and I love science communication, and I really feel like this is the perfect career for me. And actually, a lot of times when people would ask me what ideal job I want, I said, I feel like it doesn't really exist yet, or it's, it's I, I really wanted like a combination of outreach and research. So, so I don't regret it, although I would say that if me then said that they wanted to be a conservation scientist, that knowing what I know now, I would have made different choices. Okay, so for costs, so this is what I want to try to avoid you guys having. As I mentioned, a lot of people go into debt for this career. So this is what somebody posted on this Wildlife Science Career Network but, uh, Facebook group. And they said, they're doing a master or they're considering doing a master's in environmental policy, which would cost $30,000. And she wants to work for a wildlife management uh, federal agency. 
I am going to tell you right now that if you do a degree or if you want to be a wildlife manager, you need to get your degree in wildlife management. And for graduate school, if you're doing a research program, you should not have to pay for that. I'm trying to avoid people from making these really costly decisions. And a lot of people are exploring online programs. To tell the truth, I don't know that much about them and I don't know how how employers look at them, but I will give you the tools so that you can figure out if that's what you need or not. But my PhD, I made money during my PhD. I got paid a stipend. I, you, you won't make a lot of money in your PhD. You'll get paid not a lot at all. But I lived in a very cheap college town. It was actually not that bad for me of an experience. And then I, I don't really know of anything else like this. The only other thing I could find was conservation careers. They do um, some courses, but theirs are in the UK. So I think they do some online courses too. So there's, this is in pounds. So it's about like 300, I think it was $316 for two days. And then you have to stay overnight. So I'm doing this for 197 for eight weeks. And like I said, you get to be a founding member with me. So this will be the, the cheapest it will ever be when I scale it forward. And we'll really make sure that it will work for you. Why is there a cost? I actually got, if you're part of that Facebook group, I got a lot of criticism from one guy in particular for, for he thought of trying to scam all you guys. So this is my job now. I have not been employed since February, and that is my choice. I stopped looking for jobs, and I'm, I'm working to make my science communication a business. But I have been providing free resources with advice um, from 2018 till now. I do this through YouTube, on my blog. If people message me, I always give them personal responses. And I really am doing this for, for you guys because there's so much of a need out there for this, quite honestly. Um, I just get so many messages of people needing help, and I feel like people are getting really bad advice that's outdated or just really general advice that won't necessarily help them. And then if you pay, you're going to be more invested too. I have paid for courses out there and I can tell you the free courses that I take, I have not finished where all the paid courses I took, I finished. So it's also so you will be more invested in the program as well. It'll, it'll help you out too. And I will refund your money if you are not happy, if it did not help you, I, just as long as you do all the exercises. And I will ask that you show me proof that you did the exercises. Somebody used this example, and I really liked it, that I can't do your push-ups for you. So if you don't do the work, if I were to give you an exercise program and you didn't do your push-ups, then you're not going to get the results. So if you do the work and you don't get results, then fine. I'm happy to refund your money. But if you don't, then I'm sorry. You got to do the work. <laughs> and okay, so I'm opening it up as soon as I finish this webinar. And I'm going to post the, I don't think I have to link the, the checkout cart to this link. So it's not active right now, but it will be available at this link. And it's the same, it's the same form that you signed up for the information when you sign up, it will be through a program called Podia. It's a program. It's an email marketing program. I'm brand new to Podia. 
So I'm still figuring it out, but I have, there's nothing there yet. So you will sign up, you'll pay for the course, but you won't see anything. I actually, I actually put in one file because I had to have that to publish it. But yeah, there won't be anything in your course right now. That's not a mistake. It will be added week by week. And then, so that's it. Does anyone have any questions? Thank you guys so much for listening. I really hope this helped you. And if you need more information about the group, you can find it in the career tab and wildlife at fancyscientist.com. Thank you and have an amazing day. Be nice to each other. Be nice to animals. Be nice to plants too and other living things. Okay, bye.